Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I spend the first of two hours talking about not-quite-comics, with news about San Diego Comic-Con, Hollywood money versus really big Hollywood money, Twin Peaks versus Fargo, and then this second hour on more comics-related stuff like the Image Expo announcements, Action Comics 42, Omega Men 2, the original run of Micronauts, Snot Girl by Brian Lee O'Malley and Leslie Hung, Heartless by Warren Ellis and Tula Lote, the discussion between John Byrne and Dan Slott, and much more in this two-plus-hour conversation. Show notes, not Flo's Votes or Joe's Oats, are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, how are you? I am good. I am once again in the basement of doom because it is unbearably hot upstairs yeah yeah we were checking out that weather stuff and i have to say uh listeners for those of you may not know my wife and i we live in san francisco and at times like this we actually genuinely do laugh at the rest of you just laugh (laughs) because you always have moderate temperate weather yeah we were no matter what time of year pretty much we were supposed to be having a heat wave in the mid 70s yesterday fuck you it never showed up graham (laughs) didn't go above 65 how do you like that noise fuck you yeah yeah just maybe listeners if you're wondering why i'm telling jeff to get fucked it's because right here it's like 100 degrees Mm mm-hmm yeah. So yes, you and pretty much the rest of the country. So everyone else is on fire, and here in San Francisco, we just have to worry about the fact that you essentially have to sell your organs in order to afford rent every month. Yeah, okay. I, I think that's a, a good trade-off. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone could complain about that. No, no, not really. You, you live in a an increasingly soulless uh, environment, <laughs> taking over. By uh, tech buddies, shall we say? Wow! Um, and yet, you don't get melt every year. That's true. Or the amount of freeze. Winter comes around, and you're still fine as well. For the for the most part, I mean, it's sort of. I remember occasionally you'd be like, "Oh, maybe I should take a jacket," but that was about it. Yeah, but so I mean, I remember when we moved from San Francisco up to Portland, <laughs> and we did so in like December. <laughs> Uh, we very quickly realized that, you know, we had no real clothes to keep us warm. Yeah. Uh, and then the snow came. We were like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. We don't know that. I mean, in theory, San Francisco is the town where I, I think if as climates continue to change, because we were designed for temperate environments. The the people who live here now have been living here a while, but especially the apartments. So honestly, when it gets cold here, even though it is mellow compared to the rest of the country, we also have no insulation in our walls at all, at whatsoever. And the number of days where the weather does go up over, you know, 95 or something like that. And there, there's more days that go up, you know, every year. Nobody here has air conditioning of any, of any kind, any, any insulation or anything. So really all we need is one good, like, 
Harris-style heat wave or and or, you know, a cold snap. And, and yeah, we do. We, they could be. It's, the, it, it will be the end. It will be of, the of end. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, exactly. Let's face it. Almost everything else is conspiring to make it the end of San Francisco. So all you need is some terrible weather, and everyone will snap. You know, this is one of the things that I, I actually adore about the the national media about entertainment media because you know there was that movie san andreas that came out recently with dwayne johnson san andreas where the trailer was so much that kate was watching it she was like i can't even watch this trailer it's freaking out yeah yeah because it's because if anyone has like a natural disaster fear Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. san andreas is there to be like that's right you'll all die yeah all of you. Well, yeah. and you, the, you might think an earthquake would be all right, but no, just wait. Fucking buildings are going to somersault over each other just to land on you. <laughs> Do you know Dwayne Johnson? You don't? You're fucked. You are so fucked. And, but it's true. San Francisco has been totally mm-hmm. slaughtered by movies. Yeah. I remember, was it last year that they're like, the Planet of the Apes movie. Fuck you, San Francisco. Godzilla. Fuck you, San Francisco. Totally. Totally. And a few others. People are just like, Hollywood is great that way about sensing like, who does the rest of the country really want to die? Exactly. Who does the rest of the country hate? San mm-hmm. Francisco. Oh, we, we can take care of that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. They're they like, just, it's great. It's on a, it's on the coast. Yeah. yeah. It, it, come on. It's, we can get them from the sea. We can get them from the ground. Get what, them from what the air. Yeah, totally. Yeah, let's get some aliens in here. It'll all be fine. Yeah. Just wait. Independence Day 2 will all be about San Francisco. Oh, my God. I had a total thought about, oh, Channing Tatum. You know, Channing Tatum is... Uh, <laughs> I had a total thought about Channing Tatum. I, a, a complete thought? A complete... start to finish? Com- yes. It okay. started at left it left Channing Tatum Magic Mike XXL station and arrived at Independence 2 station just a few seconds later and that thought was essentially because Magic Mike XXL is opening this weekend and they are going to crazy amounts uh lengths to promote it like apparently I I assume you know cuz you're you're an entertainment dude but like there have been a number of like uh quasi like hey come to this opening we're going to have strippers or it's like ooh ladies don't worry this magic mike xxl showing is going to be super rowdy like we want you to cat call the you know all this stuff and and a my my two thoughts were a if Channing Tatum if 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 this somehow works and Magic Mike XXL has a huge opening weekend, um, because God knows it is, it knows its demographic audience and is courting it. Oh, like come on. Hell. All the trailers for Magic Mike XXL have been hilarious. Yes, absolutely. They're like, what? You don't care about the story, right? You just want to see Channing mm-hmm. Tatum do the dance routines. Yeah. That's what will make the trailers, you guys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Here are seven. There's at least seven different routines that he's in, ladies. So there's – and I was like, okay, A, if if they do pull that off, uh, Channing Tatum will be a very rich person. Admittedly, already probably a pretty rich yeah, person. Yeah, I, I but think Channing Tatum's not hurting at all. Right? No, of course not. But I'm like, there's rich – like there's there's – Hollywood rich, and then there's Hollywood plus rich. You know what I mean? Like Robert Downey Jr. is Hollywood plus rich. Oh, I don't. I don't think. I don't think Magic Mike XXL will a make enough money to make anyone Hollywood plus rich. 
Uh, and I also think Channing might be there already. Because, yeah, well, he had the G.I. Joe films, which were surprisingly massive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's got the Jump Street movies as well, which are also big. Sure, sure, yeah. He's got he's got two fledgling franchises, but... And he's got Gambit next year. Sure, and uh, but he's a producer on, on Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL. So that means he's taking home first dollar gross. Which is how Robert Downey Jr. ended up making somewhere between sixty or eighty million dollars off of, you know, Avengers and Avengers: Age of Ultron, you know, or Tom Hanks ended up making crazy, ridiculous amounts of of bank off of something like Forrest Gump. Now, I, so I'm not saying like admit it, but I'm you know, so the amount of first dollar gross. If Magic Mike XXL does something like opens it, I don't know. You know, forty, sixty million dollars this over Fourth of July weekend. Like Channing Tatum will be will be taking home more money than he saw for I don't know Jupiter Ascending or something like that. You know, and if it ha- over the its domestic life, if it ends up like grossing something like mm, hundred and eighty, two hundred million. Domestically and internationally, he could be seeing like forty million from that, fifty million dollars from that. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't really know. Maybe, maybe, it, but I'm saying, producer first dollar take, a lot of money, and also this weird kind of. If he wins Fourth of July weekend, you know, that's kind of that's you know that's Will Smith territory, and also he's, sort of he's going to, he's him. going to win Fourth of July weekend. Yeah, so I uh, mean, because he's really the only competition really is Terminator. And yeah, Terminator is not doing great. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Magic Mike won last night. Mm-hmm. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, so. so we're recording on Thursday, and I think both films came out on the Wednesday, mm-hmm. or maybe even the Tuesday. But definitely, I know that Magic Mike outperformed significantly. I want to say it was something stupid, like three to one. Yeah, see, Terminator last yeah. night. So, uh, so you know, unless, and it's not impossible, unless Inside Out does a really good weekend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of the families, because of the holidays, uh, I, Magic Mike's got to take it. Yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think it has a very strong setting. Now, maybe not. Maybe everyone, you know, because it's an adult movie and how it's rated and adults in theory are arguably going to be do- spending more time like, you know, <laughs> drinking and shooting fireworks at one another. <laughs> you know, maybe, I, I, maybe it won't. I did love that there's, I'm reading the report of last night's Magic Mike take. Mm-hmm. Uh, 90%, 96% of the audience were women. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is the biggest female share for a movie ever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and wonderfully, 82% of those asked afterwards mm-hmm. said that they would give the film four and a half out of five stars and definitely recommend it to their friends. Yeah. So it could end up being massive. Yeah. Yeah. Or they could be lying. Well, no. Exactly. Exactly. These things do get. But so that's kind of a, to me, that's a very, A, very weird that suddenly Channing Tatum could be like the new quote unquote Will Smith. Ergo, put him in the old Independence Day too, you know. Um, oh, that's already shooting, Jeff. No, I know it's too late, but I mean, I think they should, they, I think they missed their calling on that regard, so. Yeah, he, he's, I think he's hitched, permanently hitched his, his, uh, wagon to the Jump Street and Gambit franchises. Mm. I think mm-hmm. that's where he's, where he's going to be sticking his adventure blockbuster 
feet for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we'll see. We'll see. Definitely, he's. What's interesting is is the way that he has had much better luck with semi comedic franchises, you know, mm-hmm. than than he has. I mean, even Magic Mike was sort of promoted as. I mean, and especially this one, it's more of a quote unquote feel good movie. His action films, with the um, apart from GI Joe. You know, have not been his, his, whatever the hell his diehard in the White House movie tanked. Um, oh, did it? Yeah, I, it did not, it did not underperform, it, it underperformed Wait, dramatically. Is this, what was it called? White House? No. What is, what? Oh god, I'm See, the problem, the problem, the problem is, there's two. There's two. Them, one yes. of them was successful enough that it's, they're shooting the sequel right That's now. That's right. And that is not his. His it's was the his. other one that came later okay. and flopped. You know. White House Down, it was apparently called. Yeah, 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 yeah. So as opposed to wait, so what was the other one? Like Olympus has fallen. Olympus has fallen, fallen. Yeah, and that's yeah, because the new one's called London has fallen. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. Uh, what well, good? Well remembered. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So. Uh, what not? As you can tell, uh, you're listening to all new, all different. Wait, what? <laughs> Which. Just like all new, all different Marvel is exactly the fucking same. You mean in that we are, um, we've been talking for 10 minutes and haven't even mentioned comic books yet, so. Hey, I just mentioned comic books right there. Yeah. Jeff. Uh, yes, at 12 minutes in. I said 10 minutes, so. You were tricked, my friend. <laughs> the player's been played. Oh, it's because, oh, Jeff, I'm off my game this week. This week has been <laughs> nuts. Uh, <laughs> listeners, what Jeff knows and you don't is that uh, I, I won't name names because I want to keep working, but last week while we were recording the podcast, I got an email that the people I was supposed to be going to Comic-Con for, uh, that had been arranged, been arranged for quite a number of months, yeah. uh, were suddenly not taking me to Comic-Con. Uh, you may or may not know this, but that was recorded two weeks before the show. Uh, and so this past week, I've been arranging new ways of getting to Comic-Con. That's right. It has been a crazy week. Really? Crazy. Mm-hmm. In large part because I was looking at hotel costs. Oh, God, no. Diego. No. And let me just say, when it's like a week until the show and you're looking at hotel costs, mm-hmm. you really start considering, like, sleeping on the beach is not that bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> okay. Graham, without giving away too much of your game... Yeah, you do have someone who you are going to San Diego for, yes? Uh, yeah, I actually have two. Okay, they don't have rooms or a block it's, of rooms. It's or... all fine. Okay, I will just tell you that right now. It all worked out. Okay, but definitely, if you talk to me on, let's say Sunday, mm-hmm. I would not have said that. Wow. <laughs> so I, I'll go further. I didn't even know that anyone would actually. Be I'd be working for anyone at San Diego on Monday. Really? Wow. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> it's it's been like that. Hmm. Yeah. Do you want to segue into news about San Diego keeping Comic Con staying at San Diego through? Is it twenty eighteen? Twenty eighteen. It's mm-hmm. a two year extension mm-hmm. uh, because Comic Con was already set to stay there until twenty fifteen. Um, and that was a really sorry twenty sixteen. That was a really weird announcement today. Did you see it? Uh, I saw, I think I saw the excerpt of it on maybe Heidi's site. Oh, on Heidi's site, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the thing that's strange, I guess, is that 
uh, David Glanzer from Comic Con International pretty much openly said, "Yeah, this this was touch and go for a bit," and then pretty much blamed it on the hotels. Like outright was like, "Yeah, hotels didn't want to drop the rates for us, but we got them round." I mean, he didn't say we got them round, but that was pretty much the implication. And you have the mayor and you have a councilman there, and they're both saying. Thank God. And at one point, the mayor pretty much says, Comic-Con is what pays for your infrastructure, people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, I love that. Kind of amazing. But they, they, the councilman gives a figure. It's like $2.3 million it brings in to the city. Which is just... I was going to say insane, but it's also not. There's a, you know 130,000 attendees at the show, and that's not even exhibitors. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So think of how many fucking people are in San Diego for that show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as as you and I know, it's been God. I don't think I've gone for seven or eight years now. It's was the last year was the last year you're there the year that you were working with me for io Nine. No, I showed up because there was that was sort of like my first heavy duty year. The next two years, I oh, did. you showed up for like a day, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, by the by the by the end of it, I was showing up for a day. But I think previously, I had done like two days or three days. So I I want to say that your last year was probably two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was like five or six years. It's been five or six years, and I remember being like talking to cab drivers. While, you know, while being sh- shuttled around San Diego and they were talking about the tremendous amounts of money back then. I mean, to the point where the 2.8 or whatever sounds kind of low. Like, no, the, the, yeah, but that's 2.8 brought in just to the city. Yes, like not. Right. Oh, I see what like, you're saying. Literally to the city authorities. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, right. Through sales tax and yeah. blah 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 like so that's that's nothing to do with the money brought in in general because yeah that, right i mean god knows what that is it's because think about it all the people who are there and you're talking 130 attendees and however many exhibitors mm-hmm. they're all eating out mm-hmm. oh yeah you know? the amount of costs is it's and it's a five-day show yeah yeah no it's true it is it, it is tens of so millions of dollars yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, it, okay, so because I have been, literally in the last week I've gone, I'm going, I'm not going, am I going? I don't know. I, I've also had this, do I want to go? <laughs> I was, well, I was, I was really excited to mm-hmm. go. I, I worked really well for me to go and then not go the next year and then go. Right. Uh, having a year off, I think, is good. I've done it with no years off and I end up dreading it. Mm-hmm. Like this year, I've not, I've had one stress dream about Comic Con. Mm. And I remember when I was going there every year, I would have stress dreams solidly for like a month before. Right. Um, so I, I, I really had this like, I'm, I'm really excited to go. Hooray. Oh, maybe I'm not going. Maybe I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, do, do, do I, you know, cause, cause it can be crazy. It can be really overwhelming. There, there's so many people and there's always that moment when you're just, you know, crossing the roads to get to the convention center with so many people, and you're suddenly just overwhelmed by the number of people that are there. Yeah. Or, or do doing Hall H? Did you ever do Hall H? Uh, a few times. A few times. In yeah, fact, the, the is... year the year that I uh, called the year that I covered with you for Ionine, I ended up in there twice, maybe three times for various small things, and that was back when Hall H was. Smaller. Yes. Yeah, more or less controllable. 
because just the fact that I didn't have to stand in line all day, like I pretty much was able to to get in somehow. You know, but like I, the last time I was, I did the show, which was twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the first time I'd ever been in Hall H, mm. and I could not comprehend how big that hall is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's practically has its own weather system. It genuinely and, does. And so that that was the I think that was the moment where I was like, oh. I knew that the the con floor was big, but I never realized that this was also this big. Mm-hmm. I'd have this moment of, this is massive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think I knew how massive it is. This is massive, massive. Yeah. Um, yeah so it, it's so I had that moment of maybe I don't want to go, but I'm going. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it's been a very strange week because that's been a very uh, start salt week, and the fact that it's also a four day week because of the holiday weekend just makes it like my sense of time is. Absolutely screwy. Right. To the right. point where I honestly forgot it was Thursday earlier on. Did you? Oh my god. I thought about dropping you an email because you and I have not. Genuinely was like, wow. I don't even know what day it is anymore. <laughs> I just know I have to do X, Y, and Z. Wow. Um, and I, I yeah, it, but it, it's been like that all day. Yesterday was not a Wednesday. Yesterday, it's just been like, it's the next day. Right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, hilariously, much to the chagrin of Kate, I was convinced last week, convinced, to the point where I almost brought it up with you and then was like, I'll email him about it later. I was convinced that July 4th was Thursday. <laughs> Utterly. Uh, and I was like, oh, so it's got to be a four-day weekend. That'd be great. And I'm saying to Kate, oh, maybe we can go away. It's going to be a four-day weekend. Right. And she just was I looking at you like, like yeah. and I was like, yeah, because July Fourth Thursday. And she just didn't check because I was so sure. Oh, I was so sure, Jeff. Man, like not even like I think I was convinced July Fourth was Thursday. <laughs> um, and it took until I want to say maybe Monday for me to realize that was not actually true. Oh boy, grab, 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 grab. That's what it's been like. It's really. All I have now is countdown to San Diego brain. You know? Where I'm like, okay, it's six days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's what day it is. It's six days to San Diego day. Yeah, right. Right. It's T minus. So uh listeners, in case you're wondering, um there will be a skip week next week because Because I will be in San Diego and Jeff will not. Yeah. And which one of us will be dealing with that better? Spoilers. It's the one with the beard. <laughs> Well, it depends on what you mean by better. I mean, one of the things that, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's very much the who handles what they have that is given to them. You are basically being immersed into nerd Vietnam. I'm going to have the day off. I suspect that by the end of it, when we look at the fact that, that you know, I was supposed to go to the gym and didn't, you know, that I didn't have to worry about recording this podcast with you. But then I so I told myself I was going to like watch a movie on HBO and then didn't get around to actually doing it because I was distracted with like whatever it is Jeff gets distracted by these days. You know, whereas by contrast, I I have no doubt, Graham, that you would your Thursday will contain so much ungodly nerdiness that it could it could power 1500 loot crates you know i mean that's <laughs> oh wow good reference Thank um you. we'll see we'll see what it's it's going to be like 
I am toying with, and we'll see quite how uh, the experience works out. I'm toying with the following week's entry for me on the Wait What website mm-hmm. being something akin to a diary of what my brain space was oh, like each day. You know, because that, that would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I might end up being too busy to actually do it. See, that's that's what I was going to say. Is like. Uh, long-time listeners may remember that a few years back, we actually did a live podcast from San Diego Comic-Con. And we were going to do it on the Thursday and the Sunday. And then on the Sunday, I just forgot. Yeah. Yeah. And let's face it, Graham. Your Thursday was maybe not your best. You know? No, it was, it was half-ass craziness. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. I, you... I remember very clearly. I was crouching behind the bush to try and get out of the sun. Yes. I just talked to – I just had lunch with Ian Brill, I think. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it, this was a great thing. Poor, poor listeners, this is what I should do. I should try and find the file because this was during the time where Graham and I were recording stuff on FaceTime and then I was converting it over to audio files, unlike <laughs> now where we Skype. So there is actually footage of Graham like jammed behind a bush and just <laughs> ranting like – Marlon Brando in Apocalypse oh, Now. If... That was Thursday, Jeff. Yeah. No, I know. I know. It was like I, you. You've seen it. You've mm-hmm. been there for me actually going full on yeah. Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now, yeah. which always happens on like Friday night into Saturday. Yeah. Usually, you usually have some story that happens. Uh, it's always the Friday night. Yeah. It's always the Friday night. Usually, Friday, because you Friday are so busy, night. you don't even yeah. sleep. So. The Friday night was the night yeah. uh, that I was writing in the hotel foyer at the part. The God, who was it? Maxim party, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, started up around me in the foyer, and first of all, I didn't realize for a while. <laughs> Secondly, then I realized there was actually a party happening in the foyer around me, and then the f- the party stopped because they had to get the guy out because he'd had a heart attack. <laughs> Sorry, haven't I? Yeah, I think you did. I forgot that part. I just remember yeah, the party they, breaking they, they out just, around you and you not noticing. Stop. They just cut the music oh, man. entirely, right? And the stretcher guys come in with their stretcher on the wheels. They go into the elevator. Everyone's like, what is actually happening? Maybe five minutes later they come back and they have a guy strapped to the stretcher with an oxygen mask on. And they wheel them back through the foyer and into the ambulance. And pretty much as soon as the ambulance drives off, the music just starts back again. And everyone is like, what the fuck? Da, 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 da. It was <laughs> crazy. And you know what, Graham? I know this is callous of me, but to this day, I'm disappointed that that wasn't actually a viral promotion for Guillermo del Toro's The Strain. You know what I mean? Like that guy should have like sat up and been like. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But that was. Yeah, so things like that always happen. Mm-hmm. Normally, it's normally the Friday night that for some reason I have to work all through the night. Yes. Um, and I say have to. What it means is like I end up working till like four and I'm like, well, why the fuck would I go to sleep for like three hours? Yeah, which I have to say is a question I've never asked myself. The answer is to fucking sleep. Like seriously, <laughs> I will. It does not matter. That's the point where I'm like, I need, I need sleep more than than anything at that point. The whole like, oh, what I've also discovered is since like I was younger back then, Jeff. And even though we're only talk, like we're talking, right. you know, three, four years younger. Yeah. Uh, I have since developed this terrifying ability that no matter what time of day it is, mm-hmm. lying in a bed, I will be asleep. 
within half an hour. I know this because last Saturday, uh, it was so warm here that I put the air conditioner on in mm-hmm. the bedroom because mm-hmm. we have one of those air conditioners that stick in the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd just been to the local uh, Frankenstein comic book swap, which I think I told you about before. You have. And, and I think I saw an ad for it on Facebook this time. Yeah. And it broke my heart. Like, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's essentially a, a massive room just full of back issue bins. Oh, wait, but you well, forgot because I think there's also a VHS swap in it too, which is crazy There is, me. There is yeah. also a VHS swap there, um, which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but the back issues are crazy cheap. Right. To the point where I was like, what's that? Ten issues of Micronauts for five dollars? Yes, please. Oh my god. Oh, oh yeah. We'll get to that soon enough. Um, but I, I came back and it was crazy warm. And mm-hmm. so I put the air conditioner on and I was like, I'm just going to lie here and read my comics. Or... I'll fall asleep and Kate will come in to check in on me. And I will be asleep yeah. on the bed with the Micronauts comics on top of me. <laughs> oh, please. Did Kate take a photo? She didn't take a photo, did not. she? Oh, that would have been just the best photo ever. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't even remember. I just remember waking up. Uh, so that, that's my new thing. So this year, all I need to do in that case is literally just get into a bed. And I'll be like, yeah. I'm probably not going to sleep now. <laughs> Sadly, listeners, you didn't see that I actually acted that out. Oh. There, there were physical actions to accompany that. Of course there were. Of course there uh, were. But yeah, so San Diego Comic Con is staying there for another two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. I kind of hope it's longer just because Los Angeles or Anaheim, eh. Yeah, I mean, Anaheim already has WonderCon. Well, see, that's it. Anaheim has WonderCon, so I'm very curious to be. Part of me, of course, is also, on the other hand, for San Francisco, who is yeah. Remember when WonderCon mm-hmm. was going away temporarily from yeah. San Francisco? Yeah, and, and what was it? The convention center was getting updated or something? Uh, you know, there was. I it's they made it sound like it was because it. They made it act like. I want to say it was because Moscone Center West was booked one year and they were, they didn't want to try and like change the dates significantly or I don't know. I mean, to me, it's always been, it's always been bullshit. To me, I, I could be completely wrong, but I think that Comic Con International is, they have been wanting to make sure that they have another convention where they can get like significant Hollywood coverage without it being a pain in the ass for Hollywood. Like San Diego is technically far more frustrating and harder for them to ship their working Terminators and Batmobiles to than Anaheim. So part of me kind of thinks like, well, maybe if, you know, Comic-Con leaves San Diego and does go to Anaheim, then WonderCon will come back to the Bay Area. But honestly, I think that's that's just me being deluded. I don't think I don't think it's ever going to come back. No, I don't, I don't think WonderCon is ever going yeah. back to the Bay Area, which yeah. is such a shame. And I wish that someone would step up and start one. Uh, well, you know, there um, la- this year we had I think uh, Matt Slady and Leaf Smith at Mission Comics and a whole bunch of other uh, people are trying to get that um, Comics Festival week going, sort of as a replacement for us losing Ape since Ape is going to San Jose and a lot of people are 
you know, just completely awestruck that we're not even going to have the alternative press expo. But, but my understanding is, is this year was almost like a soft launch and they are trying to, they're, I think the idea is to actually do something that's almost closer to like an Anglomem kind of deal where it sort of takes over the city and there are various shows at places and galleries and things. Um, but, you know, mm, part of me's like, is San Francisco the right place for that? Well, there was a need here. There was in the sense yeah, of there, there's a, a need for a show. I'm not yeah. sure if San Francisco is the right place for like a week of events. Well, I think I, is, I, is there enough of an indigenous creator population there now? Ah, uh, well, that, that is really sort of the question. I mean, certainly, um, you know, Matt Saladi, who, who teaches and heads up the, uh, cartoonist program, uh, at CCA. Is that right? Yeah. California Academy of the Arts. CAA. Oh. I don't know. However it works. I never say it right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I know what you mean. Yes. I do. And many people who go there are probably mocking me right now. But exactly. They're like, what? Yeah. No. What? So, I mean, there, there, there are, you know, that program is creating more talent and finding more talent. The East Bay has long, you know, had a bastion, a, a thick trench of alternative and, and indie people. You know, the and image itself is located here in the Bay Area, as we know, because in theory, at some point, we're going to talk about the Image Expo. So, so the I think the idea, the the thing is, is that San Francisco. Doing a convention in this town is, is too expensive. Like it's, it literally is so much money to, to rent a convention center. Even the hotels are absurdly expensive that I feel like the idea of doing a quote unquote festival is a little bit of a get around. So that rather than having one central convention place that you are paying through the butt for, you, you know, do events at the Cartoon Art Museum or, you know, other spaces. We, we are comic store rich. Um, yeah, that's true. There, there's a, a, a genuinely wonderful yeah. comic store community out there. Yeah. So I, I think the idea is try and build from there and, and see where it goes. But I, you know, and this is me talking. I, hopefully people, in the know who are listening can, can write, can pop over to waitwhatpodcast.com when these show notes go up and, and let everyone know how I'm wrong, basically, and correct well, me. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm just, I'm very curious about it because my first impulse was, no, that should be Portland's thing. Yeah, well, and as you know, and, and like, really should. Yeah. Because we have, like, we have a, a, a city administration that is incredibly friendly to the commons community. Yes. Right. Which is fabulous. And in fact, there's, um, there's a, there's a lot less, uh, bureau- bureaucracy in Portland overall compared to San Francisco, which is the, the king of bureaucracy. So we'll see. No, Portland, I think Portland seems like a natural, but I mean, I think as you know, there was a lot of troubles with, I think it's, is it, Stumptown or was it Rose City? It's Stumptown. Uh, Rose it was Stumptown, City. right? Yeah, well, it's, it's, there's been problems with both of them. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, so that's <laughs> like, the thing. It, it, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, Stumptown and, and Rose City had a rough start. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it partnered with Emerald City, mm-hmm. significantly leveled up. Right. right. Uh, Stumptown was great and then wasn't and then ceased to exist. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the last I heard was it got maneuvered into turning it into an, they got their nonprofit status. Uh, and then, but then I don't know if the leadership fell apart or went in different directions or, you know, things happened. Yeah. Let's, things happened. Let's just yeah. stick with that. Yeah. So I um, mean, yeah. So it, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, how do I put it? You guys, Portland has all, has just ridiculous tons of talent, but how do I put it? The problem is, is talent has to, freelancers have to work so hard to keep the money coming in and chasing the gigs and making sure they're getting paid on stuff, you know, that it's really, honestly, I, I feel that, that, it's towns where you've got, again, comic store owners who have a business, which admittedly can take up a huge chunk of their time, but also allows them some experience with knowing how to deal with the city or putting things together. I mean, any volunteer organization has struggles, and it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, now that we're in our magical, you know, non-jetpack present where everyone's got a side gig in addition to their regular job. If volunteer stuff overall isn't just suffering, you know, but that being said, I kind of feel like I I think with Portland, it would be, you would really need honestly the, some of the, you know, relatively significant comic book companies that are up there, the publishers who are there, to sort of take some of that stuff on board and make it part of their their day to day to kind of get those things up and and moving. I think the gauntlet's been thrown. Yeah, Dark Horse and Oni. Well, Jeff just did it. Right it's there. true. It's totally true. It is totally true. It's uh, yes, absolutely. I was afraid you were going with a gauntlet between San Francisco versus Portland. Who will win? You know, but well, and the answer on. is that's obvious. Yeah, the yes. If the answer is like Cleveland, Ohio, or something, you know, someplace we're not going <laughs> it's to expect. Fargo, North. And yeah. I say that only because I was watching that show. Oh, Fargo? Did you? Are, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. would. Is it? Has it hit streaming? Or how did you end up? Uh, I got, I got the DVD out the library. <laughs> I'm old school like that. You are. You are. Uh, I loved it. Loved it. Mm-hmm. And this is the TV show. This is the TV yeah, version. I would love to see that. So I will. Uh, and midway through, I was, I was very much like, oh, it's, it's, it's Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. It's Twin Peaks without the surreality. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not true. Without the supernatural aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but in so many other aspects, it's like it's. I don't want to say Twin Peaks done right, but I kind of want to say Twin Peaks done right. <laughs> Because it has the, it obviously has the the procedural aspect, the murder mm-hmm. mystery, mm-hmm. Uh, but it has the kindness and naivety mm-hmm. that Twin Peaks had, I think, at its best, mm-hmm. um, and also can be astonishingly creepy, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, wonderfully creepy, and it doesn't have the. Spoilers for people who haven't seen Twin Peaks 20 years ago. Uh, it doesn't have the Bob mm-hmm. reveal, which, you know, looking at it now, I'm like, oh, Bob, he's an integral part of Twin Peaks, but it's also kind of a cop-out. Okay. 
Graham. Yes. I, 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 there's a few things that <laughs> we have to process here. And yes. one of which is is that if you were he- sitting here in the room, I would have slapped you with a glove and challenged <laughs> you to a duel at least twice. At least twice. You like Bob is what you're saying. Well, uh, I I can see how Bob is a – on the one hand, people can view Bob as a cop-out. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. no, Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Let let me see if I can massage this correctly. I think you're you're going to. um, Because for me – I think, and this is going to sound very weird, but to the extent that one believes that David Lynch went into Twin Peaks w- with an idea in his head of something that he he wanted to convey, um, to me, Twin Peaks is very much about a contemplation of what is the difference between people and things, you know, Twin Peaks is very, very extraordinarily object oriented, you know, and to an extent there's, it's kind of a, a method to the madness sort of thing with that. Lynch is interested in the way that um, essentially in in a murder investigation, um, the murder scene becomes kind of an art gallery. You know what I mean? All the objects that are found near the body have to be taken and scrutinized and looked at. And so in, in the town of Twin Peaks, there are a tremendous number of objects that seem to possess incredible amounts of of uh, almost unnatural significance. Um, And Lynch, part of the creepiness factor is the way that Lynch goes on to suggest that the things that are imbued with that power aren't start off as, as murder objects, but as time goes on. And, and I think to me, a classic example of this is like, say, for example, the, the stoplight swinging in the wind in the night with the light changing from green to red to yellow, um, is, is an object, that object and our ability to apprehend it and the life that it has, um, does it have a life outside of how we apprehend it? And further, the part where Bob comes into that is, is that taken on, uh, you know, the, the various aspects that, the, that, that emerge out of Twin Peaks is the next stage is to what extent are people objects that the spiritual side of twin peaks is an idea of lynch and the various people involved but i feel it's especially a very lynchian obsession is the idea that are the people if people are capable of being possessed by an evil outside themselves in other words if evil is outside us is that an actually 
more comforting thought? Is it a more terrifying thought? And also, what does that say about us as our belief about ourselves as we exist? Are, are we objects? I mean, we become objects if we are things that can be possessed by something like a Bob or even these characters that exist in the Black Lodge, their ability to, um, use us, uh, puts us in this strange. So Lynch makes this comparison, like Laura Palmer goes from being the body of Laura Palmer is just one more object with all the other things that surround her. But then as you roll it both backwards and forwards with the identity of her killer, or even with the prequel film, there's a little bit of an idea of how much of us are, is, is us and how much of it is actually an, uh, presences outside of us, both good and bad, although the bad is the part that's very heavily stressed, that make us um, what we are. And so there's a, a sense of the kind of uh, existential horror that, that, that happens from the idea of, well, on the one hand, you can say that, you know, the, the way that Bob stands in for, say, the abuse that's perpetuated on children by adults when they're young and the cycle of abuse that that, that can potentially create. Um, there is the horror of that is a horror of, of objectness that I feel when you look at twin peaks overall is very much deeply organically embedded in the narrative. So it's not <laughs> like really a cop out. Here, yeah. Here's the hilarious thing. I think what you said is eloquent and an entirely valid viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And part of me still wants to be like, sure, but that doesn't stop Bob being a cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why. And yes. It's not a cop-out. But what Bob is, is Bob is the point, and the, the existence of Bob, and in fact, your, your entire argument mm -hmm. is the point where Twin Peaks goes from being what it starts out as to what it ends up being. And it starts out as being a murder mystery that is relatively grounded, albeit with very quirky characters. Mm. And when you bring Bob into it, mm -hmm. you go, no, it's actually a supernatural thriller. Right. Right. No, and, I, and that's, yeah. That's really what I mean by, by cop out. And that's where part of me prefers the Fargo show. Sure. Because, uh, I, I, see, I want to spoil it, but I don't because I want you to watch it because I, th I think you'd like it a lot. Right. But Fargo is very much a meditation on uh, the non-supernatural corruption of good people mm -hmm. and the extent to which, with the slightest nudge, people can go from being uh, outwardly polite you know, well-rounded, productive members of society mm -hmm. to something else entirely. Right. And once that happens, what, how do they then function? You know, which, yes. which, because I, I love Twin Peaks, but mm -hmm. part of me still wishes that I, do I spoil Twin Peaks now or not? I don't I think we should. I don't think we should. Even though the show is at this well, point. Part of me wishes that the murderer was actually the murderer. Yes. Yeah. And the murderer wasn't given the excuse of, 
or he was possessed by a malevolent spirit. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there's something about that that cheapens the horror and Mm -hmm. cheapens the murder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because then it becomes, you know, there's an FBI guy and he's up against a demon. Right. Yeah. And there's something that is far less interesting, even with everything that you're saying, which I think is, like I said, a very valid reading, although I'm not sure it's something that anyone outside of Lynch was actually thinking about, even if Lynch was thinking about it. But mm-hmm. it's just, it's far less interesting to me. Sure, sure. When I, you say, I, she's dead because there's an evil entity. And I love the aesthetics of the Black Lodge. You know, those scenes are great. Those scenes are very enjoyable. The scenes are when I, I mean, Twin Peaks was what, 90... One ninety two, yeah, between ninety so and like ninety one. I, I think so. Like yeah. I'm, I'm fifteen, sixteen. Mm-hmm. Like those creeped me the fuck out. Yeah, like really genuinely creeped me out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love them for that. But on a narrative level, there's nothing really massively different between that and like Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, yeah, I mean, how you do know, I put it? You're like, there's an unstoppable evil. No, 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 no. I, I well, I get it. I mean, that, there... that really, and the further I get from Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. the more it irritates me. Sure. I, I and I, I, I you, drop, mm-hmm. you lose out that you drop the aesthetics. Uh, do you know what I mean? Right. You, you get to, sure, that looked cool, but, but. <laughs> well, how do I put it? I think that, I mean, I think a lot of people would say that Lynch, one of the things that's uh, intriguing about him is the way that he, among other things, is frequently trying to, to handle or look at very deep uh, and distressing aspects of the human psyche without... I would say really being able to craft a convincing dramatic psyche, you know? So when that doesn't work, I think, I think that Lynch moves into a, um, a very different sort of realm of how he creates um, how he discusses those things. And, and unfortunately, I mean, it is one of those deals that was tough about Twin Peaks almost right out of the gate. I, they, you know, was the idea of like, they wanted to explore these characters, but the characters themselves were heavily resistant to exploration. And so there's a way in which I feel that the, um, some of the methods, some of the meaning, you know, grows out of that idea of like, okay, well, this is an obstacle. How do I deal with it? And, and among other things, you know, um, it's no surprise that Lynch has progressed to narratives in which characters may only represent single aspects of larger characters that we don't even maybe consciously actually see in the narrative, you know, as a way to justify the fact of, again, that inability to sort of deal with, um, 
a, a way of conveying psychological depth. Now, after seeing Mulholland Drive, I'm also convinced that Lynch goes to great lengths in that movie to explain sort of why he does what he does in the way that he does it. And it really does suggest that he's doing what he wants to do in the way that he wants to do it. And so that therefore the traditional concepts of psychological depth or character portrayal through character portrayal or whatever is not especially interesting to him, you know? Mm. And also, I mean, just the, the way that Twin Peaks was, was made, Mm -hmm. um, it becomes amazingly clear by the second season that you can't consider Twin Peaks a character based show. Right. Yeah, I think so. Because because characterized characters change, mm -hmm. like, Significantly, well, uh, at yes. the drop of a pin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and at one point, I felt that he was very. They wanted to present this situation and then have all the characters flip in a lot of ways. A lot of the darker characters got their lighter sides, and a lot yeah. of the lighter characters were supposed to get their darker sides. But it was. But there were a lot of problems with that, <laughs> as if as yeah, it went on. Oh, so many of them like, happened for no reason. Yeah. And happened off screen as well. Yeah, sometimes it happened on screen. Sometimes when it did happen on screen, it was not especially convincing. And it just, it sort of became, it went more and more down the road of of ridiculousness. I mean, and, yeah, and it, in I, part. I, yeah. I, I, point, I think it really is in the second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have people trying to guess like mm-hmm. fake lynch yes uh and that's when that's when it really gets troublesome yeah because no one can really do it <laughs> right well it's true and i and and i should also say because it's very important here that i feel that that you know part of the problems with second season is both frost and lynch were going on and doing other projects both separately and together they they started doing a very short-lived documentary series i think for fox that didn't last very long um and frost was also in an important aspect of the show because he did a a lot of the sort of formalistic juggling in the plotting and things, you know, it always struck me. I remember Kyle McLaughlin talking about how Dale Cooper, everyone picked up on the idea that Cooper was sort of playing slash parodying Lynch himself. But, you know, McLaughlin was like, well, and I'm also doing Mark Frost, the, the super cold analytical, you know, um, brilliant, personality so it the first season was was very much a marriage and then in the second season it's like a marriage where both partners are kind of not together and and the kids are like oh well we know how to run a home you know and and of course it, it just it it didn't there's i mean when both either or both of the frost and lynch return there's some brilliant brilliant stuff in the second season but, but yeah, I mean, A, I, I would never try to argue anyone out of being disappointed by Twin Peaks. And it's just that I'm, uh, I'm hesitant to, to say that its goals were the goals that, that, that clearly the goals that, that, that Fargo <laughs> are in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, that's the thing. Fargo ultimately is, 
more true to what you think Twin Peaks is in the first episode. Yeah. I, I think that's that's maybe the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's totally and separately from Twin Peaks, Fargo, I think, is a very uh, rewarding series mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a whole. Uh, it helped significantly, I think. That I, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. Mm. So I wasn't going, oh, they've stolen that. Oh, it's that. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's one thing midway through that is not only a an incredibly unsubtle shout out, but suggests that Fargo the TV show is a sequel to Fargo the movie. Mm. Uh, and I kind of love that they never make that explicit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of like part of a B story that ends up sort of dominating the middle of the show. Hmm. Uh, and then when it's done, it's done. Do you know what I mean? Like, they don't bring it back and they're like, okay, guess what? They're just like, okay, we're, we're finished. Hmm. We're moving back to this other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I very, very much enjoyed it and I highly recommend you watch it, Jeff. I, I, I would love to. Do you know, we've made it an hour and we still I, not talk about it. An hour. An hour. And, and, and yeah. Jeff, mm-hmm. there's so much to talk about this time. Yes. There's all new, all different Marvel. There's the Image Expo. Yes. You had promised people There's that we would be bitching about comics news, so, you know. Okay, let's bitch about comics news. All new, all different Marvel, Jeff. Uh, yes, I have to say that that... Well, it's I'm all quite... new, it's all different. You can tell by the number of creators who are still in the titles they were writing before. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> I, I, You know, it's funny, because I did pick up the all new, all different free preview. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, because I was at the comic store yesterday, and it was right there, and I was like, oh, this will be good. I'll, I can flip through this, and... How, how excited, how pumped are you, Jeff? Oh, I... Graham. On, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm amped. That's uh, that's really? where I'm at. Oh, I'm Are you amped. psyched? I, I am probably psyched. I, I, am, I am stoked. I have got to say that I am... <laughs> by all means... <laughs> I I am like I am like a wood burning oven that has been plugged into an amplifier that is on medication for my uh, emotional mood swings. I am amped, stoked, and psyched. Uh, no, actually, I'm kind of bored. I I you know, but it's that's surprisingly dull, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's genuinely dull in a way that I did not expect it. Uh, even me being cynical that it's probably just going to be the same. I expected something surprising. Hmm. And when the something surprising is contest of champions, mm-hmm. like that's and no offense to like Al Ewing and, and Paco Diaz who are, who are doing it because right. it's going to be great. It's Al Ewing and Paco Diaz doing a book. It'll be completely fun. Mm-hmm. But when contest of champions is your surprise, yeah. Well, uh, you know, honestly. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say there was a few there, there other are, things that were surviving. What are like? What are? Where are the new concepts in this? Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, no, really. where no, 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 no. no there's no one new concept in the batch. Mm-hmm. Not one out of forty-five comics. Well, they're, they're joint. They're, their idea of different is it's this thing we did to a different character, but now we're doing it to this character. Yes, that's yeah. it. Well, it's amazing. Yes, 
I mean, I, I, I suppose the thing to me is, is that there's a little bit of the, well, okay. I I'll say this. If it wasn't for the fact that we know that Warren Ellis, uh, you know, comes around to Marvel and, you know, does the deed for some extra dosh. Uh, I would be surprised that he was, he's doing a Karnak book that I, it could be argued that it, he is, it's fascinating to me that he's working on a character who I believe was, was killed, was killed, is closer to the quote unquote center of Marvel, at least as far as where their storylines seem to be going, since they seem to be pushing the inhuman shit kind of crazily. So in the past, I would say that w- that was a little bit surprising, you know, because honestly, if you think about it, you know, uh, in, in a different light, the idea of Ellis doing a Marvel book that is that central. But I mean, that's the problem. There's so many qualifiers and that's kind of the case. Like to me, the surprises are, I'm very surprised that, you know, as surprised. I, <laughs> well, as I was saying on Twitter, I think that, um, Tom Taylor and, uh, Al Ewing are, should both have bigger places at the table. I think that it's very I, interesting I, to me that they well, are still, yes. Well, I, I'm, I wonder how big new Avengers and Ultimates are going to be. Mm-hmm. I think you could definitely make the case that those are relatively central. They're definitely the most interesting books out of the launch for me. And I think Wolverine also for Tom Taylor could be, could be high profile. Eh. Could be. I mean, well, honestly, I, I, but that's it. Like, I can't even tell now what the high-profile books are at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I really can't. Is Spider-Man the, the lead Spider-Man title, or is it Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah, I. I it's all, all different Avengers. The flagship Avengers book. I mean, yes. I guess it is. See, and that and that's where I think that's where things get very confusing to me. Is like flipping like, I, through I here. I, I look through and I'm like, I can't. I can't tell what the, the lead books are anymore. Yeah. And no offense to Nick Spencer, even though I'm completely about to diss him, but the fact that Nick Spencer is now writing Captain America makes me think, like, weirdly downgrade Captain America in my mind. You know, it's, it's, this, it's a really weird, like, amazingly underwhelming lineup. Yeah. And, and the biggest surprises for me are the ones that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the Black Panther solo book? Which mm-hmm. I think everyone expected there to be for that matter where's red wolf who showed up in the first teaser right he's not in any of these books why isn't there a jessica jones book all new all different marvel is happening when her fucking netflix series drops and when you look and everyone will say this is unfair but i don't think it is but when you compare it to like the dcu announcements mm-hmm. you become very very aware that there's no like there's no lgbt character Mm-hmm. In a lead role in any of these books. Mm-hmm. That's not true. In New Avengers, there is. But mm-hmm. that's a team book. There's right. no solo queer lead yet, which is really seems surprising to me. Like, genuinely, I thought that Marvel would do it even just as a token maneuver. And the fact that they've not, it just makes me wonder what the hell is going on. It's, it's crazy to me. I I think that a lot of this stuff is, um, to me, there's kind of an idea of D- DC is, 
Well, I, we'll see what happens. I, I think that DC took chances because it had to. And yeah, no, and- I, 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 I think you're totally right. But also, I think because of that, Marvel then had to as well. See, whereas I think that Marvel is kind of at a stage where they, I think they're chasing a different agenda. And I think their agenda, as far as I can tell, is working harder and harder to bring the cinematic universe and the Marvel universe into alignment, you know? Um, and I think that, I think that consequently you, and, and there's also an extent to which, again, as I think you and I have, have talked about, Marvel generally is uh, pretty supportive to their creators. And so there's a way in which part of me is like, I don't know, you know, honestly, if it were up to me, I would not. I mean, sure, I if Bendis wants to do a title, actually, I suppose Bendis has more heat after doing all new X-Men than he did for me or, or for the company beforehand, you know. But I think I think for myself, like looking through a lot of this stuff, it's a certain amount of like Marvel is being faithful to the people that, you know, they feel that they've brought up. You know, or that they they're, have they're a lot dancing of faith with the in. people that brung them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although in cases, you know, so, so I think that that's it's hard for me to necessarily knock that. But it seems to me once you go through the process of like, here are your steadfast, stabled guys who are getting work, and here are the titles that we. Have, are paying attention to and forcing, you know, because of our marketing agenda, there's not a lot of room. What I find fascinating is, is there is nothing on here that looks like, I don't know, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it really is lurking within the, the rest oh, of... Well, what does that mean, looks like Matt Fraction's Hawkeye? Um, you mean it's trying to copy the aesthetic, or no, looks no, like no. such an outlier? Yeah, I think I think I think Matt Fraction's Hawkeye came out, and it looked it looked like. Well, it could be argued because of the success of Avengers. They need the and Hawkeye having Hawkeye merchandise. Okay, we need a Hawkeye book. You know, so maybe by that token, maybe the fact that we've got a Scarlet Witch book by. Uh, you know, James Robinson. James Robinson and Kevin Wada is like that. That's going to be the potential outlier where there's going to be some crazy strangeness going on with stuff that we didn't expect. Well, I, the strangest I think is going to be the Vision book by Tom King and Gabriel Walter because it's Tom King. Right. You know, he's he's shown himself to be that sort of creator. Like, did you read Omega Man this week? No, because I I bought both issues, but I did read Grayson, which I thought was uh, fun. I, actually, to completely off the subject for a second, did you read Action Comics this week? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, Jeff, holy shit. Action Comics this week. I really liked Action Comics issue 41, which was last month's issue, which was the, hey, Superman's got no powers. He comes back to Metropolis and the police hate him and the, the, his uh, neighborhood loves him and they've renamed themselves Kenville in his honor. You know. Is this, and this is Greg Pak or no? This is Greg Pack. Okay, thank Greg you. Pack and Aaron Cooter. Aaron Cooter's now co-plotting the book. Right. Um, and, and you know, it looks great and it reads really well and it's a nice take on things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did not prepare me for issue 42, which is fucking amazing, Jeff. Really? Huh. Uh, issue 42, the plot of it is this. 
while Superman is off fighting, you know, generic monster, mm-hmm. uh, the police decide that they are going to take down Kentville, the neighborhood, which is predominantly uh, minorities. Wow. They, the minorities in Kentville decide that they're not going to fight the police. They're going to have a peaceful protest and sit down. Superman comes and stands with them, and the police tear gas them and beat the shit out of them. Wow. That's hot. Nice. It's amazing, Jeff. Mm-hmm. It's genuinely, I can't believe DC published this. It is so good. Because you have Superman being, at this point, you know, having nets and no powers. Mm-hmm. Having just fought this monster and arriving back and being like, if I had my powers, I would just take care of the police. But I can't. So I'm literally going to stand in front of them with a massive chain and try and reason with them. And the police are like, we're not going to reason with you. We're going to tear gas the shit out of you. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty great. I have to say, I would love to pick that up. Yeah, it's really, really good and makes me super curious where they're going. Also, it's funny because the first issue, the first month of this new Superman regime, every title had truth on the cover and the, the cover line for this is justice. That's great. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, actually, we'll comics, see actually comics this week is by far the best thing I read this week. Hmm. And Omega Man is really up there too. Omega Man is, is, has a great, really, it's a very cynical, very political book. Right. So, so your suspicions about at the, once you got to the end of issue one are pretty much borne out in issue two? Uh, the Omega Men seem more, uh, heroic this year, this issue mm-hmm. in, in part, I guess, because they don't do anything that is actively unheroic, mm-hmm. but they are clearly, uh, let's go with morally compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what the issue is about. The issue is about the fact that everyone is morally compromised. Hmm. And, and the, I see, because you've not read the first issue, have you? No, no, I picked up okay, one and so two I, this so I, week. I can't, I can't say what I was going to say without spoiling the first issue. Um, they do something in, they do something with a character in the second issue where the character is a pre-existing DC character mm-hmm. um, and has generally been shown to be like the upright hero mm-hmm. type. And becomes clear by the end of the second issue that he can't be that guy anymore. Mm-hmm. That he's in a world where that is not going to fly. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Tom King's doing some really interesting stuff. Uh, Greg Pag's doing some really interesting stuff that seems daring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Omega Man also seems formally daring, which is unsurprising. I mean, we've seen Tom King do this and, and Grayson as well. Yes, uh, and so that's what makes me think that the vision for Marvel is going to be the the Hawkeye. Could be, yeah, this time around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think so. So part of me is like, okay, so maybe it's there. Like part of me is, um, so I don't know. I mean, I I think that's ultimately it. It was part of me is like, oh well, Al Ewing's got some books, you know, Tom Taylor's in something, Tom King's got something, uh. You know, there's there's a few other things where I'm sort of like, oh, that's a good goofy idea. But overall, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just there's not even anything as goofy as Squirrel Girl as well. Oh no, Do well, you know what I mean, like yeah. it feels like it's gone weirdly back. Yeah, I think so because I don't I don't think that I don't think Marvel had 
the publishing success with some of their weirdo books as much as they would mm-hmm. have liked. So I yeah. think they're they're kind of like, okay, well, you know, we kind of went out there and we kind of look like that, you know, Spider-Gwen is going to be about as weird as we can get. You know, yeah. Spider-Gwen and, uh, uh, I don't know, some Scotty Young uh, spoof books. Oh, Howard you know. the Duck. Right, or Howard the Duck. Yeah, which again has that thing of like, part of me is like, if Howard hadn't popped up in a cameo in Guardians, I don't think that that book oh, would yeah, exist it would, at all. It would exist. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's just it's it really does seem dull. It it just mm-hmm. and and I'm surprised at that. I'm surprised that there wasn't more pop to it. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, for myself, I guess maybe part of it is, is that, you know, three, it, I feel like there's just, Marvel has done these, these initiatives, you know, every couple of years. And I just feel like most of, sometimes they, some, at some point they just end. And also there was something about all new, all different Marvel where enough of it seemed like, uh, Oh, I don't know. Like the was it wasn't it like the heroic age that came out after the end of yeah after siege yeah and meant nothing. I mean, it really yes. yeah, it really did. It slips away super quickly. Yeah. So so I think that this is just kind of uh, you know the new the all new all different is. I mean, it's it's it it, it feels like a, it feels like a joke in just the title of it. I mean, just the yeah. fact that it's just. I think I expected more because it built up Secret War so much, and I felt like if ever they were actually going to do something exciting, mm-hmm. this was it. And right. to see something that feels like a watered-down version of all new Marvel now, yeah, yeah. Well, because yeah, I think I think they're still trying to wrap their brain around. I mean, depending on how it goes, but like if Marvel's number one selling set of comics for the entire year are essentially licensed properties that their parent company ho- happens to own. What does that really mean about Marvel and Marvel comics? You know, like yeah. in, in a weird profound way, if you can sell more copies, if Marvel can sell significantly more copies of star Wars than Iron Man, like what does that really mean? You know? And, and I think, I think they're sort of, they, you know, they're doing, they're making the mouth noises and doing the things that they're supposed to do to make sure that they get the attention, that they continue the cycle of hype and hopefully hit their sales targets. But at the core of it, I think that there is a significant amount of, you know, the cynicism has to wear on you at some point. And I think, I think all of these dudes, despite how non-cynical even a, a good chunk of them are, I think behind the scenes, there's enough people who have said what comics can and can't do and what they can sell and what they can't sell. And, you know, Marvel's in the very uncomfortable position of having shown itself up. Uh, and, you know, I think with its, Star Wars launch being as strong as it has and continue, not just that, which they were shooting for, but I think the fact that it's continued to stay strong, like Marvel has, has some very hard questions, which may be the fact that an Iron Man comic just is not going to sell above 60,000 copies, no matter 
what you fucking do to it because Iron Man has been absolutely continuously in print for, you know, over 50 years now, you know? It's something I found also very interesting, and it's an accidental narrative, I think. Mm -hmm. But uh, I saw today on the beat that uh, Kieran Gillen, not writing any of these books, is being looked at as the third Marvel creator to step away from the Marvel Universe. And I Mm -hmm. don't necessarily think that's fair. I think that he and Hickman have been talking about like stepping back from from superhero mm-hmm. work for long enough, right? But that and the and Remender suddenly being gone. I think Remender being gone is a big deal. I think it's it a seems big deal. really strange, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems very sudden. Mm-hmm. The editorial that is in, I think, is Deadly Class this week mm-hmm. is is very odd, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just. I feel like if this was DC, there would be lots of stories. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because because no one wants to talk out of school with Marvel. Right. That could be, uh, including especially, I think, a lot of Marvel's creators. So, I mean, uh, you know, the people who work at Marvel. I think I think there's a number of these guys who are making the jump to their own stuff are very hopeful, but it still seems relatively – it's it's – it it's not necessarily as secure as I think they would necessarily like, you know? So, you know, but I do think that they're like, well, it's good income, but yeah, I, I think they're, I think they're very low this, to, to be never say never, you know? I think it's much more well, interesting when you see someone like, like the story that Carrie Andrews shared. Uh, oh, at the, the image, Expo. image Expo today. Yeah. yeah right. Mm hmm. Which, for listeners, if you don't know, this popped up as I read it on Bleeding Cool. Maybe other people read it elsewhere, but it, it, yeah, it's it's on the the CBR uh, live blog from from the Image Expo, and I want to say it's on the beat as well. It's definitely around. Okay, so that's where I read it. Is is that Andrews is is doing a book at Marvel, and he talks about how after he finished Iron Fist, like twelve issues of the entire book, where he was doing the whole thing. His Marvel editor took him out to dinner, and Marvel paid for his meal, but not for his drinks. And then Andrews... Well, and, and also, they went mm-hmm. back to the offices afterwards, and he wasn't allowed in the offices. Yeah. And that is... Um, like, both of those things are yeah. how to make someone feel unwelcome. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah. In fact, let's let's pivot to Image Expo. Although mm-hmm. I was, I will say, just as you were talking, it suddenly reminded me that there's actually four creators who are leaving, who are jumping off of Marvel with all new, all Marvel now. Oh yeah, Who's uh, there? Uh, Kelly Sue. Kelly Sue's off. Oh uh, yeah, Marvel. that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, Image Expo. I I don't know about you, but I thought it was the, the strongest one. I thought that the the there was a great amount of. Uh, interesting stuff. I thought so too. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I loved, like I, I was, again, there's a lot that just didn't interest me at all, mm-hmm. but that's completely okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's a strong sign of a publisher's variety. Yes. If you're like, I am very into this book, I could care less about this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's yeah, great. Like, it, yeah. It didn't feel like, like and also some really surprising things. Yes. Well, like I said, I, I'm sorry. I'll let you finish because you were still going. But just the fact that you look through it and it's like, oh, this does not feel like, hey, it's everybody's science fiction idea. Yes, you know? which I think the last one did. In fact, the last mm-hmm. couple have mm-hmm. felt very much like uh, 
you know, this will sell. Mm-hmm. And I think this time there was maybe only a couple mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it felt like something that someone want, thought will be successful as opposed to something they wanted to do. But I, I genuinely was surprised to see Brian Lee O'Malley there. Yeah. So that was a... Like, really? Wow. What the fuck? Who mm-hmm. saw that coming? Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Kevon doing the private eye. Part of me honestly was like, really? You always said that wouldn't happen. Really? I'm kind of disappointed. But... Doing he and Marcos Martin doing The Walking Dead mm-hmm. is going to be super interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on board for the Rocket title. Mm-hmm. I'm super curious for the Jason Aaron RM Guerra team up. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronald Wimberly doing a couple of books. Holy fucking shit! Yes, please. <laughs> oh, I'm really really excited about those books. Uh, the Sice Barrier books sounds great. Mm-hmm. The Ellis and Tula Lote book. Again, right? Sounds amazingly good. Uh, I, I, uh, just the fact that Tula Lute is coming back and doing more comics, so it was kind of like, oh, that's great news. But a lot of this stuff I didn't follow super closely because I was like, oh, this will be great. Graham can shit talk and he'll know all the news, <laughs> and I can be Mister Like, oh, okay. So do you want me to what? run down the titles that were announced? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or even, yeah, even just the stuff, the stuff that you're excited about that. That you want to, that uh, a little bit of detail would be. Okay, would so be awesome. the, the Heartless is the Ellis to Little Tay book. Okay. Uh, which is about a Scottish musician and it's a supernatural horror book. Wow. Right? Yeah. I, I am on board. I, right. I would probably just be on board with the creators alone, mm-hmm. but there's something about Scottish musician, musician, supernatural horror. Yeah. That I was like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will definitely be there for that. Um, I'm uh, amused by Expired, which is a Jimmy Robinson book with Richard Pace, mm-hmm. uh, which is a book about an Afghanistan uh, an Afghanistan war veteran who comes back to America and can see a ghost that is haunting a traffic meter, and apparently it's a thriller. <laughs> like, everything about that just sounds odd mm-hmm. enough for me to want to check it out, even though I'm not a massive fan of Robinson's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what else is there? The size barrier thing is he and Ryan Kelly doing a book called Cry Havoc. And I can't even remember what that's about, but I'm just very much in a spurrier zone right now. Did mm-hmm. you read Spire? His, his boom book? I, 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 I bought it and it did not make it through the admittedly short stack of stuff I, I was able okay, to. Okay, so yeah, we should talk about it uh, the next time we do a, a proper way about then because, mm-hmm. yeah. We should talk about it. Grant, uh, don't make it sound like we're not doing a proper wait what now. No, I mean the next time, because next time's a Baxter building. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Never mind. Um, <laughs> Blue Monday's coming back, which is, is only good news. Yes. Uh, Ronald Wimberley, so he's doing Sunset Park, which he said is a gothic horror story uh, in Brooklyn. Wow. <laughs> uh, and he's doing something called Slave Punk White Coal. Hmm. Which just the very name makes me think, I don't know what you're on about, but I'm very interested. <laughs> yes, tell um, me more. I would be interested in the Carrie Kyle Andrews thing if it weren't for the fact that A, I read his Iron Fist series, and B, the promo art for it really annoys me. <laughs> it's funny. I thought that the promo art... Do you know what it really is? The promart annoys me because of the woman in his arm. In the, the uh, arm. Yeah, I kind of get it. I mean, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, can't get past that. And this now means that you're going to have to put it in the show notes. Sir, everyone sees what I'm talking about. Uh, okay, well, but, uh, they'll probably have yeah, a full image. Like that, that. That, honestly, I, between Iron Fist, which is a, a, just 
a terrible comic chef. Um, and, and seeing that, I was like, yep, I like your story about Marvel. I will not be buying your book, sir. Right. One of the things that I like about the one, and then we'll move on, is how uh, retro it looks to me. I mean, it probably will not be this good, but part of me is like, man, that looks like such a Joe Simon book to me. That looks like such a, like, oh, like I'm always excited when I can see the book that's going to be, you know, the prez of the year. You know what I mean? And I don't mean the genuine, you know, no, no, the no, new press. Like, what is modern yeah. press? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I totally get you. Um, so. Let's see. Yeah, so Black Magic by Greg Rucker and Nicholas Scott is a, a supernatural police procedural. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's Rucker. I'm, I'm in the tank for him. Mm-hmm. We know that you, you are not. Uh, uh, Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerra, the team who did Scalped, are doing a new series called The Goddamned. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is apparently a bad. I was going to say gritty, but that's not right. Uh, a bad moods, shitty attitude book based on the Bible. <laughs> right? On board? Yeah. Uh, kind of interested in Gil Simone and Cat Sykes Crosswind, if only because Freaky Friday is always a, a fun plot for me. Mm-hmm. And it's Freaky Friday where a hitman and a housewife sort of places. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's not going to work for me. I'm, you know, <laughs> seriously. Once you said it, I was like, oh man, it's going to be because I don't know why. It was like Crosswind. I'm like, oh great, it's going to be like a, uh, uh, you know, sort of fantasy novel, fantasy comic where it's like, you know, a queen in, in a kingdom and then somebody else gets swapped. Like, so it's like a high fantasy novel, but you've got like a, I don't know, a barbarian trapped in the queen's brain. I mean, the updated thing is, I mean, this is clearly, it's the same idea, just updated. I just have to say the, uh, I enjoyed Jennifer blood, but maybe it, because I enjoyed it as much as I did. The hitman housewife thing is, is dead to me. Oh yeah. It's, between that and lady killers, like, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Jamie Rich book with Joel uh, Jones. Yeah, it, it's... I picked up the been... first issue of that, and I was like, yeah, no, that is... No, it, that's how I like, knew. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. but but I, I guess what I'm more interested in is the housewife trying to be the hitman. Like, that that seems to have comedic potential for me. Yeah. More yeah. than the hitman trying to be a housewife. Uh, Private Eye is getting his print collection, and Vaughn and Martin are doing an issue of Walking Dead on Panel Syndicate, yes. which means to be the page you go. And I, I wanted to talk about that because I think, uh, did you read, uh, We Stand Our Guard or We Stand On Guard? I completely forgot that existed. Wow. Well, I mean, 100% forgot that existed until I saw people talking about it yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and I picked it up with, how do I put it? I picked it up being like, I have no interest in this at all. Like, kind of like from the very premise and everything that was pushed, I'm like, this this very well may bore the shit out of me. Um, but, and, but you bought it nonetheless. Yeah, cause, uh, because I figured, well, first off, I, I, because I love our listeners, Graham, and I love America. No, um, I do love our listeners. It was, it was a shit ton of pages for $2.99, and it is that idea of, Vaughn, like, I've never been especially great at telling what Vaughn's going to work for me and which stuff isn't. So I was like, okay, well, I'll try and give this a shot. And I have to say, 
as a general rule of thumb, I was left super cold about it. But one of the things that I find fascinating is the way in which, and, and to me, it's like I read the book and then saw the Walking Dead announcement online, the extent to which Vaughn is takes Robert Kirkman's career very seriously. Let's put it that way. You know what I mean? Like, I I think that there are people who look at Kirkman's career and are kind of like, oh, man, yeah, I could do that. I wish I could do that. And, you know, and you get someone like uh, Rick Remender at uh, Image doing stuff that is, it seems to me, very Rick Remendery stuff. And God knows I'm not saying that Robert Kirkman could do Saga at all. But reading We Stand on Guard, the first issue of it, the things, how do I put it? It felt to me like Vaughn taking things, his approach to things and, and pushing it even closer in the Kirkman direction. I think, I think Kirkman on Walking Dead has similarity, like he and Vaughn have always had similarities. I think they, for example, they have a very strong emphasis on sort of the last page you yeah, know, the cliffhanger. Of, yeah. yeah, that's you end big. Yeah, exactly. They both have that idea. I think they they have ideas of structure that are very similar. But we stand on guard. Had a number of things where I was like, oh, you know, like kind of like, <laughs> wow, that 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 was Kirkmany, you know. And uh, so I find that very fascinating. So seeing the idea that that Vaughn was like, we want to do Walking Dead. And I'm fascinated. Part of me is kind of like, oh yeah, sure, because it's a license to print money. But I th- also think that there's something more to it. I think I think that, that Vaughn is very interested. Having the opportunity to try out a Kirkman vehicle, um, you know, without having it just be like, oh, here I am ripping it off with my own zombie book, but actually having a chance to be like, oh, I think I could do a really, like, the parallels are there. And whether it's just I want to get it out of my system or I want to see if the things that Kirkman does work because of a certain amount of momentum or if my spin on them is going to be as big, bigger, not as big, where does it fall in the spectrum? You know? So it seems interesting to me. It really is kind of a, you know, I really am trying to gauge my career by this person and this is going to provide me with some very valuable analytics, you know? So that being said, we stand on guard I was, yeah, I was left, I was left pretty cold. I mean, part of it is kind of, there were a couple of, I mean, it was, it, it was fun in the fact that Vaughn is like, okay, I'm going to end big, but I'm also, you know, it's like, I'm going to, here's my twist and here's my twist and here's my twist. And I'm like, okay, so where are we going? And, and they aren't big twists. I just mean in terms of like, oh, here's the character that's going to be the fan favorite. That's why I'm shooting him in the face right here, you know, kind of thing. And it's sort of like, yeah, that's. He showed the character is going to be a fan favorite in the face, Jeff. I know. That, right? that never happens now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So part of me is kind of like, huh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to the extent to which, which, uh, uh, Vaughn is doing something that seems, yeah, 
like I just said five times already. So anyway. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the last thing that I was uh, excited about is Snot Girl, the Brian Lee O'Malley and Leslie Hong book. Which sounds even crazier when you hear what it's about. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That Fashion is the one. Fashion bloggers. Mm-hmm. Fashion bloggers with allergies. Fashion bloggers with allergies, right? I mean, that's really odd. It's kind of a weird... I mean, it really does seem like... I don't know. I, do you have a take on it? Do you? Have, I mean, it's surprising, but is there... Is there an idea of what's happening there, do you think? Do, what, what, do you have a take on it? Do you have a hot I have take, Graham McMillan? I, my hot take is more, who the hell managed to get Brian Lee O'Malley to sign up for this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, just the idea that he's doing an ongoing book at all. Right. Is, is really surprising to me. Yeah. Like, has he ever done even a, a regular comic format thing on an ongoing basis? Like, he's done a couple of Scott Pilgrim shorts, but that's about it, right? Yeah, he's done the Scott Pilgrim shorts that were were com- free comic book day stuff. Um, I want to say that's it, at least in terms of a apart from some of the other production type work stuff. That yeah, I he's done like he lettering doing. and stuff for other books, but like yeah. as a writer, I don't think like this. I don't know. It's super. It's super weird and feels. And this is entirely unfair, but it feels like a weirdly retrograde step for him mm. after. Seconds. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you go from Oni to whoever published Seconds. Who did publish Seconds? I don't know. Was the it... internet is going? The internet is going to tell me. Yeah, uh, Seconds is published by. It wasn't. It wasn't Oni. Did he jump and do it with? No, else? he jumped to Ballantine Books. Oh, okay, I was going to say I thought it was a big publisher. Like yeah. a mainstream and publisher. So and so it seems strange that he's then like, and now I'm doing a monthly comic from Image. Hmm. Do you know, I, I just, uh, who knows? Who well, knows? I also, think that, that yeah. suggests mm-hmm. that Brian Lee Malley has A, wanted that sort of career in the first place, and B, has a career plan at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there's an, there's an idea in which, um, I, well, okay. Here's some, pie in the sky type thinking maybe because he's done you know alternate covers for like the wicked and the divine uh you know he knows kieran gullen and jamie mckelvey or something like that you know and and in the course of talking to them much like uh mr gillen did with the rest of us but with a little bit more um numbers attached to it like they talked a little bit about the type of money that they were making and, you know, and, and, <laughs> just thought I could do that. Well, I think he, I, I think there, if anyone has a reason to think that O'Malley should, but also he put a lot of work and time into seconds. He got, you know, he probably got a decent sized advance on it, but depending on what he's looking at, you know, people could be turning around to him and saying like, Hey, great news at this rate seconds, you know, your advance will pay out in like four years and you'll start seeing some royalty action, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, who, who knows? Like really? Yeah. Who knows what anything is going on with that? Yes. But it just, I don't know. It just seemed a legitimate surprise. The thing you know? that I find interesting, and this is probably deeply unfair is because cause when you look at the execution of Seconds and Scott Pilgrim, they are, you know, 
they have moments of very, very deep absurdity to them. Whereas Snotgard or whatever seems... I think it's called Snot Girl, Jeff. Snot Girl. Snot Guard. I, cause I use Snot, Snot Guard. Snot is something yeah. else entirely. Yeah. Um, Wait, please tell me you don't actually use something called Snot Guard. I do not. <laughs> I, I was worried. <laughs> I couldn't tell. I know. I know. I, what that says about either of us, I'm not sure <laughs> I, it's worth going into. Um, but you know, I mean, honestly, it, it, it feels like kind of a disposable lark where he's like, yeah, this would be like a fun thing. I'll test the waters, but but it also kind of has a little bit of uh, um, it seems so deeply whimsical from the get go that it would be very easy for him to claim like, ah, eh, I was just fooling around. I wanted to see what it was like and blah blah blah. If it doesn't work out, you know. But it really feels like a get for image. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's huge. It's you know? it's a it huge really feels deal. like a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In in a way that. Even the other, like it, you know, Rucka and Scott, or even this, the Simone Sags book felt like an, a regular image size get. Mm-hmm. And then, and you know, Vaughn being like, ah, private eye print collection. It was like, okay, that's a big deal. And then for O'Malley's come on, really was like, oh, they've stepped up their game. Yeah, that's. I, that I think it was an. I think it was an amazingly successful expo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also lovely that. Uh, uh, I've completely forgotten his name. The publisher whose name I've completely forgotten. What is his name, Jeff? The Eric publisher, Stevenson. Eric Stevenson. Yes. Uh, it's good that Eric Stevenson didn't just like do his traditional <laughs> passive aggressive <laughs> swipe right. at someone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. he does have a San Diego spotlight panel. So maybe he's saving it for there. Eh, you know, I mean, I think, I, I don't know. I, I it, it's, um, I would say that there are a lot of reasons over the last 12 months why Eric Stevenson may not be in a fine position to throw stones, but it, it could just be something as simple as, you know, um, you know, just the, he may just feel that whenever I do something like this, I've got a situation where suddenly people are counting the number of white people on the stage and coming back at me. So yeah. maybe, which ironically he could have gotten away with this time. <laughs> mm, right. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a much more diverse crowd of creators. Mm-hmm. It's it's by far the most diverse crowd of creators at Name of Jacksonville. Oh yeah. Yeah. It 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 absolutely is. I mean, if nothing else, it really does feel like uh you know, there's a female creator like in nearly every announcement, you know? And that's that's a that's a that's a big, that is a huge deal compared to what we're looking at still from something like, especially Marvel. You know, again, Marvel has a lot of people that it's loyal to, but consequently, um, there's a lot of space not available. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I, I have to say one of the things that again, to get back to how amazingly dull the Marvel thing was. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to see that they didn't retain people that were doing Secret Wars books. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I honestly thought that Noelle Stevenson would be doing a Runaways book. Mm-hmm. And then she wasn't. I was like, huh. Okay, then. Well, I, I, yes. You know, or, or, or uh, you know, Kelly Thompson was looked like she was going to take over Captain Marvel because she was doing the Carol Core book. Mm-hmm. And then she was replaced by the people doing Agent Carter, which is going to be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, in large part because I'm really curious how much they contributed to Agent Carter being good. 
Interesting. Well, they they didn't create it. Mm-hmm. It was the, the they didn't write the pilot. They only wrote one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and and also their history also includes running Dollhouse, mm-hmm. which I hate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that always colors. Like I I I did like Agent Carter a lot, mm-hmm. but part of me was like I I can't believe this is the same people who did Dollhouse because Dollhouse was terrible. And so yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very very. I I I'm very curious what's going to happen to, to Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I am as well, frankly, because I think that there's a lot of getting Kelly Sue off the book, having her leave is is um you know it, it, there's always been a very strong suspicion that that the success of Captain Marvel. Was the success of Kelly Sue exactly? So taking her out of the equation, I I think. Mm -hmm. I think putting these two on it Mm -hmm. um, gives Marvel an out of replacing them whenever they want, Mm -hmm. because they can always play the. They got really busy doing Agent Carter. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like they can do six issues and then be off. Yep. Yeah, but Uh, I mean, and then you know. Six months down the line, they're going to be like, and our new writer, you're going to be really excited, is Jason Aaron. <laughs> right. I mean, he's proven his feminist credentials doing the Thor book. Sure, sure. I, well, I mean, this is, this, this is the thing that I find very weird flipping through it is, is that there are, you know, it's like, hey, we've got Scarlet Witch number one by two dudes followed, you know, on the same page. Well, yeah, Scarlet Cross Witch from- number one is by one dude and a cover artist who's a dude. Oh, you're There's right. Artists for Scarlet Witch. You're right. You're right. Hopefully they will fill that. And I'm sure they're thinking of it. But, you know, I kind of had that weird thing with the totally awesome Hulk number one where it's like, huh, got both the Asian guys on the one book with the potentially Asian Hulk, huh? Well, that's, uh. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not going to seem weird at all. Right. But again, exactly. then again, it's Frank Cho, so he'll be off on three issues. Yeah. That's the other thing about the, the all new announcement. Like, you're launching books with artists who you know are going to be gone by six issues. Yeah. Steve McNiven is not going to stay on Uncanny Humans more than six issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, I Cho, mean, Cho is going to be gone from, from Hulk within three. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the extent to which, I mean, that just, but I think to Marvel, I mean, Mar- you can't really put, I think they feel like it doesn't do them any good to put asterisks next to those things, you know? Um, well, of course not. I mean, what, what really would you say? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, hey, he's on I here. I thought you won. Yeah, and I mean, I th- I think they've even done that with things where they've said like, oh, so and so's on for the first arc. I mean, not for many years now, but I think you know they always launch it like, this is the guy. He's our artist, and you ask them, they're like, he's our artist. Who knows how long he'll be here, but he's our artist. You know, but, but when really, it's clear, there's so many books that you're you're like, okay, so that artist is off mm-hmm. after the first arc. No, it's, it's, uh, so, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, I, I felt, uh, I, in, in my shopping, I tend to look more to stuff like Image or, it seems like even, uh, more boom stuff now, uh, in terms of where my surprises or my diversities coming from. You know, DC to an extent, but I, I'm so aware of how, um, you know, uh, transient and impermanent things can be over at DC too. 
So well, that's just it. With DC, with Marvel, you expect, uh, especially now, I think, mm-hmm. a blandness that will be slick and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, with DC, you expect literally peaks followed by troughs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I. So yeah, we we will really see. Like DC I mean, is great right now. Within a year. Sure. You know that something is going to happen, right? I mean, and and very well, what could be happening is 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 that it's Brendan Fletcher is writing X Men, you know, because that's yes. that's one of the I'd things say of all the artists that Marvel stole from DC. Kenneth Rockefeller is the weirdest choice to me. Uh, who is he? Where, where did he? he? He was doing Teen Titans, oh. and now he's doing Ultimates with Al Ewing. And honestly, my first thought about that was maybe they'll put a good artist on Teen Titans. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's right. yeah. It's he's he's great at pinups. His mm-hmm. sequential stuff is not so tight. And yet again, we get back to the Al Ewing keeps getting paired with artists who did not serve his work great when it comes to Marvel. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I think Ewing at some point he's going to team with someone who actually serves him serves him well. But at that point, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I really do have that of feeling where. I don't necessarily know who that is anymore, you know, just for myself. Like, my tastes are different. I, I was talking with uh, Doug, the, the manager over at Comics Experience, uh, and he's a huge X-Men guy and 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 probably the world's uh, biggest non-fan of Umberto Ramos. So he was like, he was like, God damn it. He must be thrilled. Yeah, he was so, he was heartbroken. He's like, I've wanted to see, I've been talking about Jeff Lemire on X-Men has been my sort of, you know, dream match for, for, you know, the last year. And it's like, and now I'm getting the book and it's Humberto Ramos cock blocking me. So, you know, so part of me is like, but I, I was like, but Doug, that's probably going to be huge that book and he's like i know but i don't i don't care i don't like him you know what i mean and it's sort of like the so, x-men plans are super weird the x-men plans do seem super weird don't they they just like they seem even more scattershot than everything else in all new old different marvel it's like hey okay jeff Lemire and humberto Ramos, why not and then we'll have was it dennis hopeless and mark bagley yeah and what's yeah. the other one? Colin Bunn and Greg Land? And Colin Bunn and it's, Greg Land. It's kind yeah. of like they've pulled names out of a hat. Yeah. Well, because I feel, and I could I could be wrong, I get the sense that they're like, you know what? We are going to take, we're aware that we have to take some chances and we're going to bring in some new blood on the X-Men books, but we are going to cover our asses and make By sure that- the same old artists. Yeah, Exactly. By by so it's like we've got the artists that are totally totally going to be our fallback. You know, there is. Did you read the interview with uh, Lemire on CBR talking about uh, Extraordinary X Men, which is the name of his book? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to find the, the the quote that I just thought was really really funny by accident. <laughs> like he he did not mean it to be funny, and it is funny for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> Listen, I got to ask about the extra- title Extraordinary X-Men. Where did that adjective extraordinary come from? And how do you think your book will live up to it? Is the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a softball, like a CPR interview. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can't be like, Extraordinary X-Men, that's a terrible title. Right. No, 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 no. Uh, I think there was a desire to have something new for all new, all different Marvel. Says Jeff Lemire. 
we didn't just want to fall back on the same titles that we've had in the past in some books, calling it Uncanny or All New or things like that. <laughs> What's hilarious is there is also an Uncanny X-Men and an All New X-Men. Yeah. Like, the two titles that they are also using. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, but there's, uh, there's also just... To me. Yeah. I, it's, re- it's ludicrous at every end of it. You actually have, and I know you have pointed out that it's a softball, but it says everything about the state of the comics press that you literally have a question being asked about the adjective in the title and how you are going to live up to that adjective. You know? It's, it's very much, uh, you are so handsome and so beautiful. How, how can you, it's difficult being so talented and beautiful. Exactly. Like it's, it's How do you stay humble? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, but it is. It's just, it's very, it's, it's a non-question, but the non-question really underscores how samey Marvel is. You know, it's the jokes that we were all making when the uncanny books were coming out, like really come true, you know? So. I don't know. I mean, it, it's. I, I. Is it wrong that I actually think that cover of the Dan Slot Spider Man is pretty? Like that that preview art. The the Alex Ross cover is that Alex Ross doing the cover? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, that is that is some pretty stuff. You know, I think it's great that Spider Man now has a glowing green spider. Did you? But he's what, got what's. Did you see this? It, the, there's a spider mobile under his left testicle. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they've released the, the they've released the uh, design art for the spider mobile. Oh, okay, great. Because I saw the, that. the pitch of the book is it's Batman Incorporated, but for Spider Man. You right. know that, right? No, I knew that it was kind of uh, we're doing something different with Spider Man. I it's, thought that he's it globe. It's Peter Parker's now globe trotting and teaming up with other superheroes. Oh, wow, that is uh, pretty Batman Incorporated. Oh, it's Batman Incorporated. Yeah. yeah, while while. Junior uh, Batman slash Spider Man is keeping things safe at home. It is Batman Incorporated for Super for Spider Man. I see. Well, so that's great because you've got Miles Morales fair, doing the Spider Man and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. Grant Morrison did drop that concept for Batman Incorporated within like three issues. Yeah, he really did. He really did. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, I yeah, we'll see we'll see where things go. Part of me is like one of the reads that I found really interesting. Um, fascinating is the rich on bleeding cool was uh shameless enough to to grab the entire debate between john byrne and dan slot about comics. oh shit right yeah that was that really was a fascinating read and to me just very sad making because it really is i mean it it really made like to say that it did John Byrne no favors, but the fact is John Byrne did John Byrne no favors. Whereas, oh, John, yeah, yeah. That was – and what's funny is Slot clearly went in defending himself, but also with an amazing amount of respect for Byrne. Oh, hugely, hugely. He could not – you know, I, he I could only not have been nicer in that exactly. conversation. Nicer, but also more respectful and genuinely – loaded with numbers of, you know, pertinent and trenchant examples and, and Burns inability to engage with him, you know, in, in, you, you will have to put a link to this on the, the, yeah. the site for people who have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, John Burns, uh, over at his forum, uh, 
was presented with two quotes, one from Kevin Feige talking about the Spider-Man movie, one from Dan Slott talking about the new Amazing Spider-Man book that's launching in October. Mm-hmm. Um, Feige is pretty much saying, Spider-Man has to be a kid, he has to be in high school, this, this is what we're going to be doing with the movie. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this yet, but Feige basically said it should be a John Hughes movie with superpowers. Yeah, I, I saw that pull quote on an article, which I made a point not to click on. <laughs> um, and Slot, on the other hand, is saying it's you know we're we're basically doing Peter being the best he can be. Mm-hmm. He's a successful businessman. He is going to be traveling around the world. He's going to be mentoring Miles as Spider Man. He is going to really live up to his potential. Mm-hmm. And Burn, first of all, snarked. It's like they're talking about two different things. And then someone's like, they are. Uh, and then got really, really pissy about the fact that Slot was not doing exactly what Stan and Ditko did. Yes. He got very upset about it. Yeah. Uh, and Slot showed up to defend himself mm-hmm. and say, quite rightfully, you've done this many times in your career yourself. Yes. You you have come up with new spins on characters, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you need to do with characters who have been around for fifty years. Mm-hmm. And Burn, I was going to say, he wraps himself in in knots trying to argue, but he doesn't. He just just says no to everything. Yeah, he doesn't even try and explain himself. He just says no. If he contradicts himself, he doesn't care. He just says no. Yep. He's amazingly rude and and vitriolic and dismissive of mm-hmm. everything that is not blanket agreement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is it is a fascinating read. I'll definitely put a link on the show notes. People may want to peruse it. Uh, there was somebody, oh God, I don't know who it was on Twitter, like a week or a couple of weeks ago, that was basically somewhere along the lines of like, look, just leave the guy alone. You know, it, talking about John Byrne, Byrne, basically yeah. that, yeah, that Byrne is mentally disturbed and, you know, and is just a mess and he deserves basically pity rather than being troll baited, you know? And I agree with that. And one of the things that, I mean, there's also an extent of like kind of a little bit of like, if there's ever anything that prove that is... Uh, slot showing up and being 100% respectful and getting a get off my lawn response that is, I mean, it really was. It was just like, oof, you know, uh, it, it was, it was painful to, to watch. Yeah. It really was. Because slot, slot really could not have been trying to be more, look, I understand you're upset about this, but I think, that what I'm doing is 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 fine and necessary, and I think it's in the spirit of things you've done in the past. Mm-hmm. And Burn was just amazingly aggressively fuck you and fuck the horse you rode on. And when when he had w- once his examples are gone, you know, he basically like he just does it all. He goes to lengths to twist twist slots words and, and manipulate them quite badly into making it look like slot saying something he clearly isn't. He is just snarking on things that slot is saying, you know, for no reason. Yeah. It's really, it is, it's not a good showing it. I mean, it really did make me, I'm like, wow, Dan slot. I mean, I, 
I I think overall I have a lot of respect for for the most part for how Slot comports himself online, but that really was just grade A. Like A um yeah, Slot's a class act and B, yeah, we should everyone should just just what just leave John Bird alone. Yeah, know? that's the thing. At this point it's like why would you want to interact with John Byrne? Because he's not coming out and coming after you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he has happily shut himself away in his corner of the internet. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So unless you're going to prod him. Yeah. And to be fair, part of me is like, Slut shouldn't even have gone. Yeah, I kind Cause, of... Because uh, you, you're never yeah. going to win. And I'm not right. saying that to, to damn him. Right. I'm just saying, like, I think he ultimately made his own frustration. I well, I honestly, I think Slot said at one point he's like, "No, I knew what I was, what I was going to get when I got in here." And I so he said something like, "Because someone said he was courageous or whatever." He's like, "This isn't courage," Uh, and and it to me it was a thing of like I didn't feel like in any way he was trying to 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 bait the bear. And and as far as I can tell, a lot of people in the burn forums, uh, certainly if nothing else, by the way that 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 burn himself weeds out people that he thinks are trolling him, you know, it ends up being a certain unit of people who are generally supportive of burn of burn. But part of me is like, I don't even think burn needs that either. Like, I kind of feel like I'm not sure that the echo chamber is doing him any good at all. You know, it really is one of those. Like, well, it's, it's not like it. It never does. Mm-hmm. It right. never does. Yeah. Whenever you see a creator have that sort of thing surrounding them, mm-hmm. it always hurts them. Mm-hmm. And, and not just in comics. I think whenever you see anyone surrounded by yes men, right, it always results in in a degradation of not only the quality of their work, but just the way that they act. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a problem. Indeed, my friend. So, is that our we, is that our great? Yeah, we, note? we've done two hours. Yeah, yeah, close. And close I didn't enough. even get to say, but I'll say it very quickly. Uh, I read issues twenty four through, uh, sorry, twenty five through thirty four of Micronauts, uh, thereby cementing my belief that Micronauts is the great uncollected Marvel comic. Uh, I'm inclined to agree with you, although I have to admit I still haven't read ROM, although I now have a big honking collection that I keep going, oh, right, I've got ROM. I should sit down and read all these ROMs, but, but that's it, coming. It, Micronauts is just is Micronauts just great. is great. So that's first it, it, run, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah, first run. My blow and Pat Broderick at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, yeah, it's just, it's just very, very, very good. In large part because it is shameless in its steals. Mm-hmm. There's actually a wonderful letter in because uh, Manthlo's answering the letter column for some reason, mm-hmm. and someone's like, "You're just ripping up Star Wars," and he's like, "I'd never even heard of Star Wars when I started." <laughs> so, which massive bullshit. And part of the fun is that you are just ripping off Star Wars yes. and Kirby and all yes. these things, right? And just throwing it in and making this wonderful pop culture pulpy stew. It's mm-hmm. so great, and he's he's working at such a hilariously melodramatic level. Yes. You know, it's not just like, my brother is being possessed by the bad guys. Like, he's possessed, but then when he comes back, he's a megalomaniac. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's wonderful. It's all so over the top. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Talking about uh, megalomaniacs, I also got the final issues of Steve Englehart's West Coast Avengers, which I'd never read. Ooh. 
I'd never read like the last five issues or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hilarious to see that he quite clearly was being rewritten by someone. Really? Yeah, like he introduces plots and then like he introduces Mantis again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mantis shows up as the team is breaking up. And it splits into two different Avengers teams, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because Mockingbird let Phantom Rider die. And uh-huh. Hawkeye... And so there's there's a, a... Avengers don't kill or let anyone die. No, they deserved it. Split. An ideological split. And Mantis appears as this is happening. And it's like, I will hang out with you, Hawkeye. And it's quite clearly a setup for A, the new status quo. There's going to be these two teams. And mm-hmm. B, something is up with Mantis. Mm-hmm. Right? The right. next issue is a fill-in. <laughs> and the issue after that is Engelhart's last issue and literally has Mantis's story wrap up in the most ridiculous manner possible. Wow. Like, one issue after she's brought up, Mantis is, is A, killed, because it turns out that wasn't really Mantis, that was a plant who thought it was Mantis. <laughs> then the real Mantis comes back to life and goes, I have to think about this. You guys go on without me. It's... <laughs> I have to go back to my home planet now. Yeah. No, 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 because she's told that she can't go back to her home planet. No, no, sorry. I'm making the Poochie reference. Yeah, I don't get things like that. Okay, sorry. That's why I was like, no, 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 you're being too literal. I'm talking about the end of The Simpsons when they pull Yank Poochie off screen, literally. Anyway, sorry, please continue. But yeah, so it's hilarious to see, like, clearly he was just being fucked. Yeah. Like, obviously. Um, But... The, the Engelhart bits of it are, are great. Mm. And also, again, complete resolution for Hank Pym. Like, resolution number seven, I think, for Hank Pym. <laughs> uh, but he's written out the book. Mm-hmm. Like, definitively, in a way that I don't think anyone ever addressed. Because Engelhart brings back his first wife. And as Hank leaves the team to take care of her. Maria think or whatever is yeah. like alive or something? Yes, she's alive. What? Wow. And I don't think that's ever referenced ever again. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like... Because <laughs> I mean, I because really soon, maybe like two fill-in issues after this, Burn mm-hmm. comes on, mm-hmm. and Hank's back in the book by that point. Right, right. Kind of. So it's almost as if, you know, they forgot that happened. Yes. I might actually have to track down the fill-ins to see how the team gets back together, because by the time Byrne comes back on the book, the ideological schism is over. I just... This is the sort of stuff that that young Steve Englehart would have totally made a meal out of, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Explaining what happened during that that time, you know? Yeah. it's. But I'm very curious to see what what their inevitably disappointing explanation is. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing, like, uh, let's see, it's issues, what issues is it? I guess it'll be issues 40 and 41, because I want to say 42 is when Burn comes on. It is, 42 is when Burn comes on. So there's two issues. It looks like issue 41 is the one that explains it all. I wonder yeah. who wrote it. <sighs> I'm sure I it on the that de- It's got to be, you got to jump over to the Marvel Wiki or whatever. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing right dum, now. Dum, dum. Who wrote it? Mark Grunewald? What do you think? That was my first guess was Grunewald. No, Tom DeFalco and Ralph Macchio. Oh, wow. Which is great. And because... it's called, When Ghosts Can Die, Even Gods Must Fear. 
And according to Marvel Wikia, a brief cameo is made by writer-editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. Beautiful. Stripped by Matt Gio from a plot by DeFalco. So clearly he, clearly he was just like, get this team back together. Yeah, get them back together. Yeah, that's the idea. Matteo's like, okay. I sort of like the the math of that, though. I sort of like the idea that if you were like to, you know, split Mark Grunwald, you know, through a prism, you, he basically, you do. You get, It's like Ralph Macchio plus Tom DeFalco equals Mark what's, Grunwald. What's I'm hilarious like, is Mark Grunwald writes the previous villain. Oh, God. Wow. Engel, Engelhart is booted off the book. And then... Mark Grunwald writes a villain, and uh, Maggio and DeFalco write a villain, and then Byrne takes over. Wow. wow. Marvel in the 80s, everyone. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, and on that merry note. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now that we've done, now that that's out of the way, listeners, yeah. let's get started with the real show. What, you thought we just talked about Twin Peaks for an hour no. on, on the Agile episode? No. ridiculous. No, why would we do that to you? No, no, no. We're just getting I think, started. I think we can all agree that we've learned a lot uh, this week. We've learned that Jeff feels very passionately about Bob from Twin Peaks. Uh, that I, I really liked Fargo. That I did not like on the all different Marvel announcements. Yes. Uh, and that Jeff and I were both in favor of the Image Expo. Yes, and Jeff uh, had some interesting uh, shit-talking to say about We Stand on Guard. Like, vague, but still num- somehow uh, shit-talking empathetic. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, agree. No, no, just, just stay with the shit-talking. Keep <laughs> with it. It's working out for you. Yes, yes. Look at we- me and how delightfully fulfilled I am so far. Clearly, it's worked wonders. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? What were you saying, Graham? Uh, you can find us on the internet all over the place. Uh, we are at waitwhatpodcast.com where you will find show notes for this and the other episodes. You'll also find Jeff and I writing just meandering, meanderol, I was going to say that. Meanderol. Answering Ask meanderol. your doctor about meanderol. Exactly. If you fall asleep after four hours, it's working just well. Um, yeah. You we we write a bunch of stuff there. It's if you like this podcast, chances are you like that. If you so. also really like this podcast, you might want to uh, check out our Patreon campaign because this is a Patreon supported podcast. We thank the many many people who are supporting, uh, and we. What are we at right now, Jeff? I think we're, uh, you know, Patreon had a hiccup. I don't know if you. Yeah, we no, we got the email saying yeah, we okay. should basically like, oh god, I'm really sorry, you guys. Exactly. Uh, we were at 106 patrons. We're back down to 105. I think. Wow, we actually did like. Shame, shame, shame. Yeah, so we're, we're falling. We're losing. Yeah. Um, but yes, we, that's at patreon.com forward slash wait podcast. We're also uh, doing a Tumblr when I'm not insanely busy, uh, which is to say I'm really sorry, you guys, for not updating the Tumblr this week. I'm but, also really sorry. There's a few points where I was like, I should post this screenshot and did not. And I'll, I'll try and be better. Yes, you should, that. Jeff. You should post that screenshot. Whatever that screenshot was, you should have posted it. Uh, anyway, that is waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Twitter at... At Wait What Podcast. Uh, Jeff is on Twitter. You can ask him all about Bob and Dan Slot. <laughs> at Lazy Bastard. L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. 
I'm also on Twitter. You can ask me whether I've had a nervous breakdown. I'm at Graham M. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, Jeff, what else do we need to say? Oh, if you're listening to us and you'd like another way to listen to us, uh, we're on iTunes or Stitcher. That is correct. Yes. I, I have to say that is it. We will be off next week, and then when we come back, it is a Baxter building episode, which means we will be discussing Fantastic Four issues 61 through... Did we did we figure out if we were just doing six at a go? 61 I through think 66? We're just six. Yeah, I think we're doing something like that. I can't even remember. I can't either. Let's, let's say... A bunch. I want to say it might be 61 through 67, but... That makes sense. Yeah, let's, let's 61 through 66. Mm-hmm. Let's just do that, guys. Sure. And you know what? If you're reading along and you're liking it, you just keep going. Just keep going. It's fun. Right? Yeah. It's comics. That's why we're all here. (laughs) For the love of comics. (laughs) So true. So true. Again, everyone, thank you. Thank you for listening to us. And uh, Graham, do you want to sing us out? Bye! Wow, that was like me on Twin Peaks. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. (laughs) 